You're listening to A Scary State, and this week we're covering Kentucky. So Lauren? Yes, Nora. Let's get scary. All right. Hi, guys. This is our second time recording this part. It's always fun when you see an error message pop up that something's not right. In the middle of the recording. Good times. But we were talking about the cicadas. Yes. There's crazy cicadas here right now in Virginia. Um, The sound is deafening outside. It's so bad, and they are so gross. Yeah, like you'll just be walking, and then they literally just like fly into you. They're not very intelligent. (laughs) And Roy eats them, and -hmm. it is so gross. I know it's fine, and I know they're protein, but it's so gross. I know. Ellie, my dog Ellie, eats them, and like literally every five seconds, I'm pulling her away from them, and I probably look like I'm mean like to people driving by, but I have to or else she will eat every single one. And I should probably mention Roy is my dog. So (laughs) (laughs) Ellie's my daughter slash dog. (laughs) Um, Okay. So yeah, Lauren had her engagement party last weekend. Yes. And it went so well. We finally got our families to meet for the first time. Um, It just went better than we could have even imagined. My side of the wedding got to meet Joe's side. It just was really, really fun. Yeah, we loved, like, the bridesmaids got to meet Joe's side of the family, and I got to meet Lauren's grandma, which was awesome, because she um, is the one who knew about the murder um, from the New Jersey episode. Mm -hmm. She knew the guy, so... She was so excited to meet you. I know, I gave her the biggest hug. It was awesome (laughs) meeting her. Um, And then I guess the only other like exciting thing in our life is that we're going to San Diego next weekend. Oh, yeah. So we are so excited. We're actually leaving in two days. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But like we keep mentioning, we're safe. We're vaccinated. Mm -hmm. We're doing outside activities. It's just a fun little girls trip. Yeah, we'll be very safe. So we're really excited. So without further ado, we will get to Kentucky. So Kentucky, nicknamed the Bluegrass State, joined the Union on June 1st, 1792, and became the 15th state in the U.S. This is actually when it split from Virginia, so I guess it used to be attached to Virginia. I don't know Hmm. geography or history. Kentucky got its name from the Iroquois word for prairie. Some weird laws. According to the law, you have to shower at least once a year. On Sundays, if a woman is wearing red pants, she must marry the first man to propose to her. So, Nora, don't wear your red pants on Sunday. Oh, boy. (laughs) And in Fort Thomas, Kentucky, it is against the law for dogs to molest cars. Um, I mean, uh, something happened there. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, The Kentucky Derby, which is held in Louisville, right? Louisville. Louisville, is the oldest horse race that is still continuously held in the world. And I loved this. At the Kentucky Vietnam Veterans Memorial, which is located in Frankfurt, there is a giant sundial. So throughout the year, its shadow touches the names of each veteran on the date of that person's death. Aww. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. In the middle of Louisville stands the witch's tree. When rumors that the tree was going to be cut down came out, a local coven of witches left a warning on this tree. The warning pretty much said that if you cut the tree down, quote, the force of fate shall strike this town. At the bottom of the warning, it said, beware 11th month. Well, the tree was cut down anyways. And 11 months later, one of the deadliest tornadoes to ever touch down in Kentucky went through and flattened the entire city. Oh, my gosh. So kind of kind of interesting. The Lost River Cave in Bowling Green is a cave that has the shortest and deepest underground rivers in the world. In Jenkins, Kentucky, a man, <laughs> this one's funny, a man realized that he needed to, he needed gas for his car. 
So in April of 2012, Michael Baker decided the best way to do this would be to siphon gas from a police car. He then, yeah, he then thought it would be an even better idea to post that picture on Facebook. Needless to say, he was arrested. And in Kentucky, there has been one identified serial killer and one unidentified serial killer. Nice. So Nora, what are you talking about today? So I am talking about a case that is actually has something to do with the Kentucky Derby. Okay. So right away when we decided to cover Kentucky, I knew that I wanted to do a case like something to do with the Derby um, because I've always been really fascinated with the Derby. And when I was in college, I went to the Virginia Gold Cup. Oh, Do you yeah. remember that? I know. That was like a huge thing in college. Yeah. So I was so excited to go. We got all dressed up. It was so much fun. Um, and then when I lived in Pittsburgh, my friend Abby threw an unforgettable Kentucky Derby party and she gave us mint juleps and it was like really good. But also she should not be allowed to serve those because they were so strong. But <laughs> There's always but, that one friend. <laughs> um, but before I share my story this week, I wanted to quickly go over the roots of the Derby. Okay. Um, I know you kind of talked about it in your intro, but in the first ever Kentucky Derby, it was in 1875, and there are tons of derbies that take place across the nation each year, but the official Kentucky Derby takes place on the first Saturday in May in Louisville. For those of you that don't live in the States, picture people dressed like they would at a tea party for the Queen of England. Yep. (laughs) With fancy hats and dresses, but you're like in a muddy field at a horse track. Um, But along with the fancy attire, the Kentucky Derby comes with drinks, lots of drinks, and parties, lots of parties. (laughs) Especially in Louisville, where the Derby takes place each year. And this past May, the Kentucky Derby was especially wild in Louisville because restrictions had started becoming more relaxed. People who were pent up for a year finally were able to go out and celebrate something that was a staple in their city. Safe. So it was basically the perfect mix for tragedy to strike. Mm. Mm-hmm. So on the night of Friday, April 30th of this year, it just happened, sadly. Oh, geez. Um, But on the night of Friday, Friday, April 30th of this year, Kazmira Nash was headed to work at a night shift at a club in Louisville called Vibes Restaurant and Ultra Lounge. This was Kazmira's second job. Her main job was at Humana, which is a healthcare company. Um, But Kazmira was a single mom, and she sacrificed so much of her free time to make ends meet and provide for her two teenage children who were a boy and a girl. So Kazmira was a bartender at Vibes when she wasn't working her full-time day job, and she knew she had a busy night ahead of her because it was Derby weekend. That's what it's referred to in Louisville, and I'm sure all of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. The Kentucky Derby was the following day on Saturday, May 1st, and on top of that, Vibes was having a guest performer visit the club that night, a rapper named Jack Harlow. Oh, I think I know him. You've heard of him? Yeah. I was like, is that someone from like Pirates of the Caribbean? Because I've never heard of that name before called he sings a song called way out with big sean i actually really love this song really (laughs) yeah i'll play it for you after okay okay so i guess he is you know somewhat relevant if (laughs) lauren knows about him um so his posse was coming to the club too including his dj named ronnie o'bannon whose stage name is ronnie luciano ronnie and jack were also apparently close friends Um, And it was common for Ronnie to accompany Jack to his performances. Um, Sometimes Ronnie would perform and sometimes he would just be there. Given the crazy shift ahead, Kazmira decided to stop at the hairdresser before her shift at Vibes. As you do. I know. 
On her way to the hairdresser, Kasmira called her mom like she often did, and they had a conversation which ended how it often did, with Kasmira saying, Okay, mom, I love you. And her mom said back, I love you too. Oh, this is already making me sad. <laughs> her mom had no idea that that would be the last time she would hear those words from her daughter. Nora. The rest of the story is still under investigation, and I'm saying this because I don't have time to deal with anything legal. I received this information through news and online sources, and it is still an active investigation as of the airing of this podcast, and there's been no convictions in this case. So now that we have that out of the way, according to sources, when Jack Harlow and his DJ Ronnie got to the club that night, the owner escorted them inside, bypassing security. I checked Vibe's website and I couldn't find anything specifically stating if the club had guests go through a metal detector, And but I did see on the website that the club, quote, caters to young professionals. The club also mentioned a strict dress code throughout the website, which stated, quote, fitted clothing only, no sweatpants, baggy clothes, hats, or athletic wear. I mean, that is a typical thing. We live close to D.C., and that is – there are dress codes at some bars, so that doesn't strike me as being weird. I completely agree. Like, I feel like I've been to, you know, a few clubs in my lifetime, and I've always had my purse checked. Sometimes a female patted me down, but there was no way I could have gotten into the club if I were wearing, like, baggy clothes. Mm-hmm. I think and it's a safety precaution. Definitely. So you can't hide anything in the pockets or hide anything on you. Exactly. Almost every club I've been to also has had, like, those handheld metal detectors mm. that they scan so that they don't have to have, like, a full-on one that you walk through. Yep. Based on my club experiences, which is mainly New York City and Washington, D.C., um, it was practically impossible for me to bring in a weapon, and I think it would have been almost impossible for anyone to bring in a weapon into this specific club vibes unless there was somehow unless they were somehow able to bypass security. So shortly after 1 a.m., Kazmira sees DJ Ronnie and realizes that he is the man who apparently shot and killed her close friend. His name was Ture Cortez Ferre. Oh my gosh. In August of last year. She goes up to Ronnie and basically confronts him and starts arguing with him. And according to sources, she was upset seeing him living his best life that night at a club. And knowing he had murdered her close friend only months before, she was absolutely livid. Now, it's unclear if she knew about the connection because it was hours into her shift at this point. And it's like, why did she wait to confront him? Yeah. And then also, like, wouldn't they – I guess maybe if they only announced that Jack Harlow was coming and she had no idea that the DJ was coming too. Yeah. Or he could have just arrived. I was, like, trying to piece this together, and it's, like, there's multiple hours of time from when she started her shift to where she saw him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was – and it's it was really hard to find information on this since it's so new. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Like I said, though, Ronnie was not – I do not believe he was performing that night with Jack Harlow because he was drinking during Jack's performance, like, off the stage, like, with his friends or whatever. Yeah. Either way, there is a video from TMZ – and Kazmira is arguing with someone in the video, and it's hard to tell for certain who it is, but it starts off as an argument, and then halfway through the video, it turns into a full-on brawl between dozens of people just fighting each other. It's, like, complete chaos. You'll have to show me after this. Yeah. It's, like, and it's in this club, and it's, like, people just fighting everywhere. Mm-hmm. Jack Harlow is still on stage at this point in the video, and the video points it out. But during the brawl, shots are fired, and one shot hits an unidentified man. Oh my gosh. And then another shot hits Kazmira, and she is 
um, pronounced dead by the time paramedics arrive. Yeah, so sad. The unidentified man is taken to the hospital in critical condition, but ultimately he survives the shooting. Mm -hmm. According to Kazmira's friend, Brittany Black, Kazmira may have reached to Ronnie and hit him. She was definitely instigating the fight, but... But still. I know, and it's like... One of his, like, if one of my close friends had been murdered and then I saw the guy just, like, partying it up at a club, I would be livid. Yeah. I wonder what more of, like, the backstory with that is. Like, how he got off from, like, the crime. You know, like, if, you know, just what the back of that is. I know. And there had to be more. But I just, I I almost feel like something, something had to have happened. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what they're trying to figure out now in the investigation. She was working at the time, so I and I doubt she got into altercations normally like that, or else she wouldn't have a job. Exactly. So I feel like she was probably very confident that that was him, or maybe he made a comment. Mm-hmm. Like you never know, just something. Exactly. Brittany Black also said, "Quote, who's her friend?" Said, "Quote, he shot her in a club in front of hundreds of people, and he walked right out as if nothing had happened." End quote. Which is so ironic because exactly what Kazmira was accusing DJ Ronnie of doing, he's now being accused of doing to her. That's twisted. I don't like that at all. Well, he ended up turning himself into police on May 11th, and he was charged with murder and tampering with evidence in connection with the murder. Dang. I could not find anywhere why he was charged with tampering with evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe something with a gun. I think it was something – I mean, I think the most common things were that it was either something with a gun or his timeline, like, not Mm. telling the truth. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how that would be tampering with evidence. But I don't know. It was just so interesting. I don't know. But I'm sure detectives had their reason for charging him with that. But he is currently being held on a $500,000 bond. Jeez. Since Ronnie was charged, according to his defense attorney, Steve Romans – Ronnie had admitted to shooting a gun into the crowd. Why just randomly? I know. And the fact that he carries a gun and that he was able to get it in there, like, the fact that he, I feel like, uses a gun to stop issues from happening, I think he it would be more likely than not that he would have had something to do with her friend's murder. Mm. Because he already, like, carries a gun and will openly shoot in crowds. And you have to think, too, I don't know what, like artists who are performing go through with their security checks but i feel like it's not as intense as the people coming in definitely because we've been to concerts before where it's a small venue and you see outside behind the stage where they're bringing stuff in from their trucks Mm -hmm. so you know they're not getting checked as they take everything in from their truck exactly like when we saw the love of our life ronnie ratke perform with (laughs) falling universe better than this ronnie in this story (laughs) so much better than this ronnie it's just insane like that he was able to get into the club, given that he wasn't performing, but he knew the performer. Yep. And it pretty much, like, erases any question in mind that it could have been someone else who shot it. Yeah. Before the gun was brandished, Romines told the court, quote, initially Miss Nash attacked Mr. O'Bannon with a champagne bottle, hit him in the head with it, end quote. Oh. So, Ronnie's claiming self-defense. See, I can see the self-defense part. Obviously, mm-hmm. if she did initiate it, but that doesn't equate to pulling out a gun. Yeah, I agree. And I just have so many questions. Like, I really hope that they come out with more information because it's like, where was security? Yeah. 
She probably had a way to quickly contact security if something was happening. Also, it's totally his word against hers. I'm sure that there were eyewitnesses, and hopefully that comes to light soon. And now it's his word against someone who can't give their word. Exactly. So, I mean, maybe she hit him, but we'll see if the champagne bottle story is true, hopefully when more information comes out. I wonder if they had, like, CCTV footage or anything. I, I hope so. Or I mean, security cameras or something. Yeah, I mean, they had to have had more than the one video. Like, I'm sure multiple people were filming it because that's the world we live in today. Mm-hmm. I remember I was in D.C. once, and I literally – remember we saw that girl get hit by a car? Oh, my God. And yes. people were, like, filming it. I was like, that is so disgusting. Mm-hmm. Like, she could be dead, and you guys are just filming her. That was literally terrifying. It was this one of the scariest things I've ever witnessed. It was so scary. I I did not think she made it, and then I saw her move her arm, so that made me happy. I know. But, yeah, I remember that. That was terrifying. Insane. Um, but, I mean, I guess in this case, it would be kind of good if they had the video evidence But I think overall, if your first thought is to film something that's really brutal, then you're a sick person. Yeah. So Ronnie's defense attorney says that he has photos of Ronnie with his head split open from the bottle being hit against his head. And I think that was the other thing I thought. Maybe that's the evidence that they were saying that he was um, messing with evidence. Maybe he made the wounds worse than they were or, like, did something like that to help his defense case. Could be. Because he's still, from what I've read, he's still not out of jail. I don't know if that's still true. But I think that it's clear if anyone would have been able to bring a gun into the club, it was either Jack or Ronnie, like I said. Mm-hmm. So Kazmira's death comes as Louisville is headed toward another year of record-breaking gun violence. Oh. So far in Louisville this year, there have been 59 homicides and more than 200 non-fatal shootings, and that's just in four months. Oh my gosh. The gun problem in Louisville is really bad. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to end this with a quote that said, that's from her mother, and it says, quote, She was a mother. She was a daughter. She was a sister. She was loved. Her heart was so full. What we want people to know is that even though she tragically left us, her memories will always be, be endearing to us, and we will always cherish every moment that we had and shared with her. Aww. End quote. I think, like, just mainly with the increased gun violence in the country, and this isn't even political. This is, like, there is gun vi- a lot of gun there violence. There is. Yeah. There's, it's, That's like, a fact. look at the statistics. Mm-hmm. And then there was just a mass shooting in Miami the other oh, the yeah. few days ago. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of wanted to bring light to the problem. And yeah. I just really hope that Kazmir gets justice. Yeah. So not like, obviously not the most cheerful Kentucky Derby party, but hopefully things will come to light as they investigate. And we'll keep looking into this too. If we get any new information, Nora will mention it in a future episode if there is any updates in the case. Also, as soon as we find out updates, we'll post them on our Instagram story because I think that would be cool because then we can like save them as highlights of case updates, Um, especially because like our cases are usually like, a hundred years old or <laughs> so old and this one literally happened a month ago that's so crazy i know it's actually um, crazy you got that much information for something that happened just a month ago well i mean i think there was so many news articles covering it mm-hmm. and so they all had like their little pieces of information so i have like a lot of sources for this episode <laughs> but i agree i'm surprised that anything was released um, yeah I mean, I wouldn't have been able to cover it, so I'm I'm glad that I was able to find something. Yeah. But, Lauren, what are you talking about? 
So I'm not talking about anything that dark, oh. but I'm going to talk about a location. So it's called the Mammoth Cave. So it's one of it's actually one of the seven seven natural wonders of the world mm -hmm. and has been given the title of the most haunted natural wonder in the world. I had no idea we had one of the natural wonders like what 12 hours from us. Yeah. So Mammoth Cave is one of the biggest cave systems in the world with more than 400 miles of interconnected passages. The National Park was formed in 1926, but became an official national park in 1941. Over 600,000 people have visited every year, and out of that number, 450,000 visitors go on a guided tour of the cave. I don't like caves, but I actually would definitely go on a guided I tour. I would go on it. It sounds really cool. That would be so cool. I don't know if, like, I, I don't think I could sleep in it or anything. No. But I would go walk through it with a guided tour. And, yes. like, if I had, <laughs> I don't know, I need, like, a life alert, too, in case anything happens. But, yeah. <laughs> 500 different battery packs I know. and flashlights. <laughs> I know. Um, so some species that live in this cave are albino shrimp, the Kentucky eyeless cave shrimp, southern cave fish, Indiana eyeless crawfish. Do you say crawfish or crayfish? Crawfish. Interesting. Yeah. The Indiana bat and the eastern pipistel bat. And I think something that I found was really creepy was two of these things were named the eyeless whatever. And I, mm -hmm. it's just kind of creepy to think about these eyeless animals living in a cave. Yeah. So this cave was first mapped out by slaves in the 19th century. They were forced to go into the cave to map it out, and Stephen Bishop was one of these slaves who ended up discovering many of the passageways that we use today, or that are used today. So even after he was freed, he continued to work as a tour guide in the cave. He just, you know, he wow. loved these caves. He had spent so much time exploring them. Um, he also became known as, quote, one of the greatest explorers Mammoth Cave has ever known. So he's actually buried in the Mammoth Cave Cemetery, which is located right outside of the cave and is known as the Old Guides Cemetery. So he wasn't the first person to explore these caves, though. In the 19th and 20th centuries, mummies of Native Americans have been found in the caves. Wait, so did the slaves just basically opened them up more, but they were still there? So the tunnels were always there, but oh. they were the ones who actually mapped it out. <gasps> oh my you know? gosh. So like, they are like natural. They were yeah. completely... Oh, that's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. So yeah, the slaves are the ones who went through and said like, you know, if you turn right here, you end up in this big room. Wow. Yeah. So um, it is believed that the mummies were placed in the cave as part of a burial ceremony and probably took place in the pre-Columbian era, so as far back as 2170 BC. Wow. Yeah. So explorers have also found drawings, cane torches, gourd fabrics, woven glass moccasin slippers, all inside the cave, all presumably from that pre-Columbian era. Um, many of these artifacts were discovered 12 miles into the cave. Wow, so it's you have so to think, close, pretty much, like, considering how big it is. And you have to think, too, like, they probably, they didn't have flashlights, mm -hmm. and they probably only had torches. So imagine trying to keep a torch lit throughout these yeah. caves. Like, if it goes out, you're done. Oh, you're done. That's what I don't that like about so caves. That is scary. Well, and I just think, overall, it, I think it's so fascinating. Like, I think I've mentioned this before, but hearing about history yeah. that's so old in this country. Because yes. this country is pretty new. We're a new country. Yeah. So hearing that is, like, absurd to me. Yeah. You don't think that's, like, a time that yeah, exists. exactly. Not surprising. Many people have lost their lives down in the cave. Many of the slaves who were forced to map it out did die while inside, as well as many tuberculosis patients, because it was believed that the inside of the cave would heal 
tuberculosis, which obviously is not the case, as many took their last breaths down here, which I'll get to the tuberculosis in just a second. So Mammoth Cave doesn't just have miles of passages, unique animals, and the creepy-looking gypsum flower. So if you're not driving and when you can, look up the gypsum flower. It's really uncomfortable looking. Like Gypsum flower? Yeah. It's a G-Y-P-S-U-M. It's very creepy. Um, but so this cave also has some haunting stories. So now we're going to go kind of the tu- to the tuberculosis portion of the cave. Wait, real quick. Gypsum flower, very creepy looking. Yeah. It looks like it's like frozen or something. Yeah. It looks like a mushroom almost. Doesn't it make you feel uncomfortable yeah, looking at it? I don't like it. <laughs> you know, like the word, I hate the word moist. <laughs> this flower is like the word moist. <laughs> That's a perfect description. Ugh. So we're going to talk about a man named Dr. John Krogan. So in 1830, Dr. Krogan purchased a large plot of land that happened to include Mammoth Cave for only $10,000. So Dr. Krogan had plans to use this cave as a sort of attraction, but it also decided that it should be a hospital, if you will, for (laughs) tuberculosis patients. So during this time, there was no cure for TB. It was just recommended that the patients needed fresh air, some light exercise... But Dr. Krogan believed that the cool air of the caves, which was about 54 degrees. Roy, stop. I don't know what he's licking. I know, he's licking everywhere. <laughs> stop. Um, which was only about 54 degrees could help lessen the symptoms of TB and even could cure the patient altogether. So he convinced several patients who were suffering from tuberculosis to come live in the cave deep underground and that this lifestyle would cure them. 11 small huts were built inside the cave, which is where the 15 patients would be living, so that would be more than one per hut. Dr. Krogan named this area the Consumption Cabins, because at the time, consumption was another name for tuberculosis. Hmm. Um, This, I believe. So this plan didn't work out, though, as five of his patients died while underground, two within the very first year. Wow. While the other patients passed away shortly after they had been returned above ground. After these deaths, Dr. Krogan turned the caves back to an attraction, just a place for people to walk through. Mm-hmm. But then in 1849, he died from tuberculosis. Wow. So people who take tours of the cave have mentioned that they hear coughs and murmurs near the site of the old hospital. I feel like being in a cave, too, can cause so many other health issues. Right. Like you're not getting any sunlight. Mm-hmm. And just things like that. Your eyes will probably get messed up. Where I work, we don't have windows at my old building we didn't have windows and so we're just inside a room Mm -hmm. and i went to the doctor and like we did all of the tests and she was like you are severely lacking vitamin d (gasps) my doctor told me that too (laughs) she was like i need you to start taking vitamin supplements she's like you need to see the sun (laughs) i know yeah i think it's more common in women i think so too um just you know because of everything we go through every month i'm just (laughs) saying like (laughs) we lose vitamin d But yeah, I was like, I told my doctor, I was like, I work in a place where there's no windows. I do have a window now, though, and it's amazing. Good. We had this guy today. They were cleaning the windows. So I had a man, like, right in front of my window cleaning it. It was so weird. I was like, I'm just going to walk around a little bit. Yeah. Um, So a true horrible story occurred in these caves in 1925 to a man named Floyd Collins. So Collins was an experienced spelunker and was exploring the cave when he found himself in a small passage of the cave, which was about 55 feet below the ground. This small passage was called Sand Cave. So after several hours, the lamp that he had been using went out, so he decided to return to the surface. As he was squeezing his way out of this tight passage, a rock collapsed, pinning his leg down in the small, narrow passage. So I had assumed he had his helmet light at this point or some light, but Mm -hmm. the article stated that he was now trapped in complete darkness. Hmm. 
So he was alone for 24 hours before he was found. Rescuers were able to reach him, but they were unable to free him. So for the first four days, they are able to provide him food, water, tons of... Can you imagine? No. Tons of people were meeting, like, um, archaeologists, engineers, just everyone were meeting to try to find a way to get him out of this spot that he was in. Because like I said, it's 55 feet below the ground. It's a small little passage. Like, many of the things they were thinking would have been dangerous. So at the time, Colin's story was considered to be one of the three biggest news stories between the wars. The other two were Charles Lindbergh's solo flight across the Atlantic and the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby. Mm. I don't know either of those stories. I don't either. So after those four days, a rock dislodged and caused part of the cave to collapse. So rescuers were unable to get to Colin's, and they weren't able to provide him with any more supplies. So after two weeks of being trapped and completely secluded from rescuers and society, on February 17th, he died of starvation. Oh. Just three days before the rescuers reached his body. No. Mm-hmm. He, and you know, like, he was probably getting so messed up in the head, too. Like, thinking, I, I'm not going to get rescued. I I'm- cannot imagine. Oh, gosh. Like, being trapped is one of my biggest fears, and that is one of my biggest fears. I wish they could have, like, passed him food or water somehow. Well, once the cave collapsed, there was no way they were able to. Oh, no. So they were working for those two weeks to try to find a way into him, and then, yeah, he passed away, and then three days later, they found a way in. Oh. Yeah. So what's also horrible about this is Colin's father had owned the cave, but had sold it to a man. Well, that man decided to exhume Floyd's body and display it at the entrance of Crystal Cave. So one wow, of the entrances is, is to the so cave. disrespectful. And at one point, the body was stolen. Like, what possesses someone to do that? Awful. Thankfully, it was recovered, all except for the injured leg. So it said, obviously, that Floyd haunts the cave. Tour guides have said that he plays tricks on them when they're in the cave. And the tour guides are park rangers who give the tours of the cave, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, they also say that they believe Collins has prevented them from meeting his same fate. Olsen, a tour guide, stated, quote, For example, there's one story that a caver told me that she was caving near part of the cave. You say cave a lot. <laughs> um, where Floyd, when he was alive, would go caving. And she tripped <laughs> and she started to fall. And then she felt somebody grab her and pull her back. And of course, she thought it was her caving partner. So she was about to say, thanks, Richard, thanking her pal. But he was way on the other side. So then when she realized it wasn't Richard, she said, thanks, Floyd. Which I thought Aww, was kind of sweet. That's really nice. Yeah. Because he was looking out for her. Yep. <clears throat> So some other hauntings. A few tour guides of Mammoth Cave have reported seeing people dressed in old-fashioned clothes in their tour groups. The people will stay towards the back of the group, but will disappear before everyone leaves the caves. Another tour guide stated that she once was shoved while leading a lantern-lit tour. So some of the spirits, I guess, aren't super nice. A man and his sister also were taking tour of the caves, and they said during a portion where all the lights are turned off... It's called the blackout, so you can see how dark it gets. Mm. The man felt somebody grab his wrist. When the lights came back on, two other group members stated that they also had their wrists grabbed. You know had some their little boys grabbed. in there grabbing those wrists, <laughs> you know? messing with people. So another legend in this cave is known as Melissa's Prank. So in 1843, a woman named Melissa fell in love with her tutor, William Beverly, but her feelings were not reciprocated. So it is said that she led this man deep into the caves. Thinking it was funny and wanting to play a prank on her lover or in some other stories wanting to get some revenge, Melissa left the man in the cave alone with no light, forcing him to find his way out on his own. Well, the man never returned. So rumor has it, right? So rumor has it that Melissa is still haunting the cave looking for the man she left to die. Tour guides have reported hearing a woman's voice in the cave calling out as well as screams and far off voices. 
Others have heard whispering and weeping coming from the woman, also believed to be Melissa. There are no records of a man named William Beverly, and also no reports of anyone disappearing in the cave in the 19... In the 1840s. <laughs> so apparently before she died, though, Melissa confessed what she had done right before she succumbed to tuberculosis. But it turns out that this could have potentially been a short story from 1858 called A Tragedy of the Mammoth Cave, written by Lily DeVoe Blake, though mm. another source said it was published anonymously. So who really knows? Who knows? So now we have Troy Taylor. He's the author of Down in the Darkness, which is a book about Mammoth Cave. He interviewed a former ranger. The ranger left Taylor with a scary tale. He said, quote, one day while they waiting... They left Taylor with a tale. Sorry. <laughs> Nora. Continue. So he said, quote, one day while leading a tour group through the cave, she paused to point out a passage. Waiting on her group to catch up, she looked back to count her flock. There, lingering far behind the group, she saw a man she hadn't noticed when they set off. He was wearing what appeared to be a miner's work clothes, denim pants, suspenders, and a striped hat. As the tour continued, the man was never seen again. Mm. So what I found was really cool is there is a neurological and psychological phenomenon that people believe is responsible for those who hear whispers and murmurs down in caves. It's known as pareidolia. This is when the brain interprets vague sounds and images as specific ones that are recognizable. So, for example, you hear water drops in the distance and you mm -hmm. believe that someone's whispering or maybe crying. That's like seeing images in the clouds or hearing words when there's light noise. Oh. Yeah. So your brain makes things up so that you can understand what you're seeing or hearing. And it's like being creative. Yeah. So that's what people are thinking. Like, well, you're not actually hearing whispers. You're hearing like, oh, yeah, you know, cool. the drops in the distance. Mm -hmm. In 2019, a different kind of remains were found. In the rock, the remains of a shark called the Civotus stratus were found. Mm. What were found were the front and back ends of the lower jaw, which measured to be about two and a half feet in length. Based on the size of this jaw, the shark would have been about the same size as a great white shark, so 12 to 15 feet in length or even bigger. J.P. Hodnett, a vertebrae paleontologist was the one who helped identify these remains so while in the cave he also found over 40 teeth and spines from other shark species this discovery was huge because before this there had been no records of fossil vertebrae material in this part of the caves which is really cool to think about that these caves were like water at one yeah. point um so to date they have identified 37 different species of, sar of sharks and eight other species of fish that's so cool. And in the article, they showed a picture of all these men in an elevator because one of the ways to get into the cave is to take a freaking elevator? Absolutely no. Oh my gosh. There is literally no way I know. I never could ever see you do that. Because ever. first off, I don't like being in small spaces like a cave. Second, I don't want to be in an elevator. Why mm -hmm. in the freaking world would I go in an elevator in a cave? That sounds horrible. That, that, I wouldn't even do that, and I don't have a thing with elevators. I would not do that's that. That's going to be my nightmare. Hauntings aren't the only things that are scary about this cave, though. In 1799, the Hart brothers, who were believed to be America's first serial killers, had killed a young African-American man near the entrance of Mammoth Cave by slamming his head against a tree, which is very graphic. Yeah. Um, and in March of 2019, a woman's body was found in the Mammoth Cave National Park. So I was like... Ooh, let's look up this creepy thing that happened. Mm -hmm. So a 23-year-old female was found unresponsive at 9.40 a.m. on a Monday at the Zion Hill Cemetery, which is in the Barrel County portion of the park. At 10 a.m., she was pronounced dead. So the FBI was involved because it's a national park. 
and they stated that the death was considered suspicious. Hmm. But then, in July 2019, the FBI determined that no foul play was suspected. The cause of death was listed as acute diphenhydramine intoxication, but the manner of death is still technically undetermined. So dehydramine is an antihistamine that's found in, like, allergy and sleep medications. So they believe she overdosed on that. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like she would have to take a lot of that to overdose. And I can say very confidently, if you are someone who suffers from allergies, you know exactly how much you're taking. You know yeah. exactly when you're taking the medicine, like, down to the minute. Yeah. I don't know. So they still say that her manner of death is undetermined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that ingredient, I feel like, isn't a good amount of medicine. Yeah. So... It would be so risky if that was something that killed people unless you took, like, an insane amount, like you said. Yeah, so I don't know. Mm. So this cave also offers some tours. So there are a few walking tours that are offered in the cave, but two specifically have been included on the list that I'm going to talk about, but also on a list of the scariest haunted hiking trails in the country. So the Mm. first is the Violet City Lantern Tour. So this is a three-mile hike, and it's typically considered to be challenging, so I don't know if we would do this one. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) The effort required is moderate, and they have a fright factor on their website, and they gave it four skulls. So the description is, quote, fork up the $15 and take this guide a tour of the cave. On the Violet City Lantern Tour, instead of flashlights, you'll carry kerosene lamps to illuminate the, the cave's steep paths, just as tourists did 150 years ago. Many of the cave's spookiest spots are on this route, including Giant's Coffin, Mummy Ledge, where the lost John Mummy was found in 1935, and near where he is buried today, the tuberculosis huts, and the devil's looking glass. To take this tour, you must be able to climb a total of 160 steps. Wow. That's a lot. That is a lot. So the Giant's Coffin is actually a huge boulder, which is 50 feet in length, 20 feet in height, and 8 feet wide. In the 1800s, it was referred to as the Steamboat, but by 1840, it became known as the Giant's Coffin because it truly looks just like a huge coffin. Wow. It's pretty cool. So then the Mummy Ledge, which they mentioned in their description, during the 1930s, some guides had found the corpse of an American Indian who had been crushed under a large block of limestone. The mummy was nicknamed Lost John, so it's believed he had been digging for gypsum near the limestone rock when it shifted and trapped him. He was able to get out part of his body from under the rock, like his arm and a his arm and his head, but not the rest of him. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. Yeah. So this mummy had been isotopically dated back to 15 BC, and his clothes had been dated back to 445 BC. Wow, that's just crazy. So crazy. So the Devil's Looking Glass is a flat stone slab that has charcoal drawings on it. It is placed in just a way that it's very visible to those walking through the tunnels. Some of the drawings look like a snake or a lightning bolt. Another resembles a human with two arms and two legs. And it's believed that it could also be a crude map that shows four um, near passages that lead to a natural rotunda. Sounds kind of cool. You'll also get to see the Star Chamber, which it looks just like the night sky. It's really cool. So there are little specks on the ceiling from people throwing rocks to knock patches of the gypsum from the ceiling. Mm -hmm. At this point, you are about 189 feet below the surface. But it really does look like the night sky. It's pretty cool. So throughout the hike, you'll hear the story of the tuberculosis patients who I talked about above, as well as unique uses of the cave, paranormal experiences some have had, and a few other ghost stories. You'll actually get to see the huts where the TB patient stayed, and at this section, tour guides will tell you of the eerie feelings that they've had and the ghost coughs that they've heard. (laughs) You'll also see the corpse rock, 
which was a stone slab where the bodies of these patients would be laid before they could be taken out of the cave, which is... Um, During the tour, you'll also experience absolute and complete darkness, which the rangers and tour guides have called the blackout. So they'll just shut everything off. Um, One of the tour guides then will light an oil lantern and continue on with the rest of the stories and the histories of the cave just with this lantern. Wow. Yeah. I read a story of this one guy. He was talking about the cave and he said it was like the blackest of black. Like, you know, if you're in a dark room and you Mm -hmm. put your hand in front of your face, you can't see your hand, but you can see movement. Because there's light seeping in from like somewhere, Somewhere. even if it's like a tight little slither. Yeah. So he said down here – nothing wow. which he said it's just like after a couple seconds of just being in this you he just said your other senses are just heightened and you just said it was very very creepy so on this part of the tour guides have claimed to have been playfully shoved have heard footsteps and have been touched and grabbed some guides believe that bishop spirit the one who explored most of these caves is still around making sure that new guides are doing their job telling people the right stuff So Larry Purcell was conducting one of these tours. He had just turned the electrical lights off and turned on his oil lantern. He said that he noticed a family standing off to the side in the corner of one of the caves that they were Mm -hmm. in. After he finished the blackout portion of the tour, he turned the normal lights back on but couldn't find that family anywhere. So the room where he had seen this family is known as the Methodist Church, which is where miners used to hold religious services. So what I also read was this church was mainly used by white people Mm -hmm. at the time. And the African-Americans who would come would be forced to stand in the corners. And so the family that he said he saw was an African-American family standing in the corner, which is like how they would in the church, which is just, it's, oh, what's that thing called? It's like when it's not an intelligent spirit, it's a habitual. So it's an habitual haunting where it's just these people are going through their normal routines of the day, which would make sense. They were standing where they were and they disappeared. Another, yeah, another occurrence occurred in what is known as the chief city room. A woman on the tour had exclaimed, uh, quote, who is up there among the rocks? The guides looked to see where the woman was pointing, which was known as the sacrifice rock. Mm -hmm. So on the rock, they saw a man wearing a long sleeve shirt and an old droop style hat. So these hats were similar to what the slave guides used to wear. Um, Though this man was visible from many different angles, all of the guides saw him. They agreed that the image of the man must have been created by a series of shadows. I can't say I believe that it was created by shadows. A series of shadows. Especially if they literally are saying, like, this is what he was wearing. This is where he was standing. I don't think a series of shadows is going to make that happen. But whatever. So the last hike, I think, is more our pace. (laughs) <laughs> it's much easier and only 0.8 miles. Oh, perfect. So this tour takes you to the Old Guide Cemetery, which I talked about earlier. People on this tour, though, have been grabbed and pushed, and apparitions of slave guides have been seen. But other than that, people say it's just a beautiful hike. Oh. My brother lived in Kentucky, and he actually went to Mammoth Cave. Oh, And I was so like, cool. did anything creepy happen? He goes, no. He was like, if something creepy happened, I would have called you the moment I left. Is that how you found out about this story? No. He literally never told me about it. I found this by my amazing Googling skills. (laughs) But yeah, so he went here and he said it was a pretty cool place. They didn't go on like the crazy tour. They didn't do the lantern tour or anything. He said it was just the typical kind of walk through the cave with a guide. Mm -hmm. But he said it was really cool. And he said it was definitely a place to go see. Awesome. So if we ever go to Kentucky, Nora. (laughs) For the road trip. And that's closer to us than 
some of these farther places. Yeah. I mean, you would think Kentucky is close, but literally when we would go visit my brother, it would take us 12 to 13 hours Ugh. to get there. We can fly. We would do I'm that, in yes. That phase of life. I yes. Just fly. My mom just loves to drive. So she's like, all right, we'll leave at 4 a.m. and we'll oh, get there no. around 4 p.m. I'm like, mother. That's actually, though, our very first trip down there was like, oh my gosh, five years ago. And that's when I listened to my very first podcast. Yeah. So me and her were listening to all these creepy things. My dad's in the back, like completely bored. But my mom and I were like, oh my God, this is such a creepy story. Oh, we're driving down this really creepy road. How fitting. Um, But yeah, so that's Kentucky. I just never knew there was a natural wonder of the world there. That is so cool. We're going to have to go visit. Yeah, definitely. I would love to go on one of the hikes, preferably the 0.8 mile one. I can handle a push. (laughs) I'd rather get pushed by a ghost than hike however long the other one was. Three miles. I can't. No. Um, Well, thank you so much for listening, guys. Please send us your listener stories. If you've ever had a scary encounter with a ghost or a scary encounter with a serial killer or just anything creepy, send it to us. We would love to read it on the podcast. Um, Our email is ascarystatepodcast at gmail.com. And our Instagram is ascarystatepodcast. So guys, stay scary. Stay safe.